Look at this. You know, we're, we're getting a little braver. Just want to commend everybody. And uh, you take it at your own pace, but uh, just want to say this to everybody who's in the house tonight. I told you there's no comparison. If you've been watching online and you're joining us tonight for the first time in a while, I, I, I tried to tell you through the camera that it doesn't really compare. There's nothing like being in the house. So we're so happy you're with us tonight. Um, some of new faces. We got some friends back in town. Of course, some have been traveling. Welcome home. Just want to mention Rachel's back with us today as well. Bless you. Good to see you, Rach, in, in that direction. Everybody looks that way, but she's actually that way. Praise the Lord. Got Mike and Melissa back from their trip and uh, just so happy to have everybody back in the house. Please stand with us for David. He's been badly. I don't know if you know the story that when he got COVID, he went to one hospital, then his wife got COVID. She got sent to a different hospital. So they had COVID at the same time, but in two different hospitals. She's home now. He was on the mend, about to be released, and got sick, went backwards in his health to a very serious condition, which is where he's at today, life-threatening. Uh, just stand in prayer with us about that, okay? We want to be united as a body of believers. Let me welcome everybody watching online tonight as well, Kings Community Live and Facebook Live, YouTube, and all the other platforms. We're so happy you're with us tonight. It's going to be an exciting night in the Word of God. If you want to grab your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. While you're uh, turning there, let me uh, just mention a few things. One of them is, if you follow King of Kings worship, that's some of the originally written uh, worship right here from King of Kings family. You can find that YouTube channel and see some of the new music we've put out. That's original music. If you don't know how to find that, just email the office. We'll get you there. But in addition to that, another family of ministry group in King of Kings called Yuval. Yuval, the, it's, it's the Center for Worship and the Arts. And they've come out with a brand new uh, worship song and video as well. You can go to their page, find that new song and video. It's a blessing. Uh, we checked it out this week. We sent it to the whole team. Another way to get that kind of information, you say, how do I stay up to date with you guys and all that's going on locally or throughout the nation and the world? Well, make sure you are signed up for our newsletters. That's the easiest way. We send that stuff to you. You don't have to hunt that down. Go to kkcj.org. You can sign up for those newsletters, either the local newsletter or the whole King of Kings family around the world. So I hope you know what season we are in. You know we're only 24 hours away from the Feast of Trumpets, right? That's exciting, right? A couple of people excited about that? Well, it seems like the rest of you don't know about the Feast of Trumpets, so you're in luck tonight. I'm going to teach you about the Feast of Trumpets. Because if you knew about it, when I mentioned it, you might have jumped out of your chair with a hallelujah. So I'm going to assume by your lackluster response that you don't know about it. So I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm going to teach you about the Feast of Trumpets tonight. Is that fair? Good. Oh, that was a better response that time. Good. Praise God. Listen, historically in, in biblical history, we, we blow the shofar, we blow the trumpets as Derek started the service. We're going to blow it again at the end of service with the traditional blast and blessings. But from the history of the Bible, the, the trumpet blast stood for many different things. First, it was a call to assemble. The people of God would hear a certain call. They knew to come. There was a meeting taking place. It was also used as a call to worship. That's how they started their worship services. It was used as a call to war. 
A certain sound meant, get your weapons, it's time to go to war. So it's very appropriate when we blow the trumpet at the beginning of service. Because we're assembling, we're going to worship, and we're going to war. But to carry that further in biblical history, we use the trumpet to announce the return of the bridegroom. Remember, in ancient Jewish history, there would be a betrothal, there would be an engagement, there would be ceremony number one. Did you know in Jewish history there's two ceremonies? Ceremony number one. This, is, this means she's off the market. That's what that ceremony means. And then the bridegroom would leave town and go and prepare a place that they were going to live in the future. And whenever he was done with that, he would return back to the town where she was. And the best man, his best friend, would come to the gate of the city and blow the trumpet that he had returned. And then they would have the wedding right then, right there. People often ask me, in, in the Jewish wedding, why is the chuppah on poles and why is it portable and carried around? Well, historically, that would be one of the answers. The chuppah would be portable because it had to be ready for whenever the bridegroom returned with the trumpet blast. They would get ready. They would have the wedding. You ever heard the parable of Yeshua about the 10 virgins that needed to be ready all the time? Their oil had to be ready. Why? Because they didn't know when the groom was going to return. This is how our people lived. They lived in the state of readiness after they were engaged to be married. The trumpet blast reminds us of the return of the bridegroom. It also reminds us of the times and the seasons. Everybody didn't get a, a buzz on their phone when the holidays arrived. It would be announced with a trumpet blast. They would know if it was a holiday, if it was a Sabbath, if it was a new moon and a new month, all through the trumpet blast. And finally, the trumpets reminded us of the return of the king. You see, when the king would leave the capital on his journeys, his diplomatic journeys, when he would come home, when he would return, they would blow the trumpet and alert everyone, pay attention, the king is home. Now certainly you can see all of the prophetic symbolism through those six things that I just mentioned in the history of the Feast of Trumpets you can see the prophetic symbolism in the return of the Lord. He's calling his people to assemble. He's calling us to worship. He's calling us to war. The bridegroom has returned. It's a new season of life, and the king has returned. You say, well, I've heard a lot of people say, Shana Tovah, Happy Rosh Hashanah, Happy New Year. Where does this come from? Well, if you find the biblical records, the Feast of Trumpets, is laid out as the fifth feast of the year. Number five out of seven. It's actually on the first day of the seventh month. It is dead in the middle of the year. Our people could not have gotten it more wrong than that. That's the most wrong you can get it, right? On a calendar to say Happy New Year when it's the exact opposite the, the furthest days away from the new year is Feast of Trumpets. And yet we say Happy New Year. So some people ask me, why do we do that? Well, there are some traditions that trace the Feast of Trumpets back to the creation itself. 
And they're connecting the idea with the newness of creation. And that's one stream of thought. And another stream of thought is, this is the time of year when we start the planting cycles over agriculturally. And so it becomes the head of the year for planting. But in terms of God's biblical calendar, tomorrow evening we start the first day of the seventh month. We're in the dead middle of the year. The biblical feast is actually not called Rosh Hashanah. It's called Yom Teruah, the day of the, the blast, the day of the trumpets to be blown. And so if I refer to it tonight by multiple names, I just wanted you to know what we were talking about. The Feast of Trumpets. I gave you at least six historical reference points for that. I'm in Ephesians chapter three, our opening section tonight. Ephesians three, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the congregation and in Messiah Yeshua throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Amen, amen. Tonight's message and for the rest of the series this month, we are entitling this series More Than You Think. Because I want you to understand from the scriptures that when God sets his prophetic timetable, or when God gives us any kind of a gift, or when God gives us any kind of a commandment, he's doing far more with that than you might think. And we're gonna pull out some wonderful nuggets of truth from the scriptures tonight as we, as we journey together. We often think of the gift of God as salvation from sin, and that is true. That is one of the most important gifts that God has given us. We might think of the gift of God. We might say, what is he doing? Well, he's offering forgiveness. He's extending mercy. He's giving grace. He's showing us love and he's giving us acceptance. All of these wonderful gifts that Yeshua gives us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Scriptures. He gives us gifts and talents to be used. He's a giving God. But tonight I want you to understand that he is preparing much more than just that. He's preparing more than you think he's doing. He's a very active God. I tend to be a very active person. And I relate with that side of God. I relate with the activity of God. I relate with the God who gets his hands dirty and just jumps in and says, I'll help you take care of that. I love that part of God. He's not a God distant from us. Who has ever seen a God draw so close to his people to not just work with them, but work for them and work in them? He does more than we think. He doesn't just give us a good life, does he? No, that wouldn't be enough. He doesn't give us good life. He gives us abundant life. John chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, I'm the gate, he says. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly into the fullest measure. You see, good life isn't enough for Yeshua. He wants you to have abundant life. And then he doesn't just give you long life, does he? He gives you eternal life. You see, long wasn't good enough for him. He wants eternal. John chapter three, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, not just long life. He's doing more than you think. We mentioned the king's return. One of those prophetic symbolic moments of the scriptures that God is so famous for. And we connect his return with the Feast of Trumpets. You might say, why do we do that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52. It says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. You might say to me, how come the emphasis on last? It's a very important point. I want you to lock into this. This is going to help you for the rest of your life. Why the emphasis on last? Why wasn't it just at the trumpet blast, he comes? Why did it have to be last? Because God's feasts and his festivals are an eternal prophetic timeline of his plan for eternity. You see, when Yeshua came to earth, he died as the Passover lamb, did he not? Remember the blood of the lamb on the doorpost saves us from the death angel? Remember John seeing Yeshua said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He identified that Yeshua was the Passover lamb. Our Messiah died on one of his commanded festival days of Passover, using the blood to save us. Then, being put in the tomb for three days during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Yeshua had already told us, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, because leaven was likened unto sin. So what is he doing during the commanded festival that he commanded of unleavened bread? He's in the tomb taking away leaven taking away sin from his people, dying as the Passover lamb, taking away sin in the tomb, and that couldn't hold him. Three days later, he rises on the next God-appointed festival of first fruits. Paul identified it. Paul got it. Paul said he's the first fruits from the dead, and he did it on his appointed time. And then we count 50 days from that moment, we count 50 days to the next commanded festival, we get to Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and all of a sudden another historical moment happens. The Holy Spirit is given to all the believers. This is God's prophetic timetable. He introduced the idea of Passover way back with Moses so that we would identify that when Yeshua died at Passover, it was all pointing to him. He started this idea back in the desert, so that when we came to unleavened bread in the tomb, we would recognize it was him. And he gave Moses the commandments about first fruits so that we would know on the day of resurrection it was talking about him. And the Feast of Weeks that it was talking about his spirit coming into his people. That's four out of seven festivals that have prophetically already happened on this earth. I told you Feast of Trumpets was number five. If you can follow me, then you understand that the Feast of Trumpets is the next prophetic festival day that the Lord is going to do something major on this earth. That's why it says, 
right here in Corinthians, at the last trumpet, he returns. Because it's talking about that fifth prophetic element of the festival days. It's highlighting, it's underscoring, it's putting it in bold letters. You ever write a letter where you really want somebody to get it? And you take a regular font and you, you put it in bold? And then you're like, yeah, that's not enough. You underline it? Anybody ever done a bold and an underline? And then you're like, that's almost there. I'm gonna italicize that. And now it's bold, underlined, and it's leaning. And you're like, you know what? I could even go back and give that a yellow background. I could highlight that sucker. That's the verse right there. It's telling us, highlighting. This is the whole point of the Feast of Trumpets is so that you would recognize when it happened that it was about me. So the next time someone asks you, are you excited about the Feast of Trumpets? It should, it should trigger something inside of you that says, that's the day the king comes back. And I'm excited about that day. And some of us may say, why is he taking so long? You know, sometimes you get these big cosmic questions. You'll get a question like, how come God just doesn't fix everything if he can? And the answers are more simple than most people think. Because God is a gentleman. He doesn't force you into a relationship with him. He will wait patiently until you decide to embrace his truth and salvation so that your life can be transformed. But until you decide to do that, all of the bad stuff that we have invoked on ourselves through sin and disobedience, has to play out. So another cosmic question is, why doesn't he just come back now and get this thing over with? And there's an actual answer. And it's simpler than you think. He doesn't just want to come back to prove his messiahship. He doesn't just want to come back to shove it in the face of everybody who didn't believe him. He certainly is capable of doing that if he wanted. Giving us a whole bunch of I told you's. Why didn't you listen to me? Why is he waiting so long? Because if he comes back in a time of peace and prosperity, fewer people will give their heart to him. If he waits, let sin do what sin does. Let sin grow in its darkness and its decay and it's spiraling out of control on the earth. If he lets it have a little bit more time and it grows darker, more people will realize their need for the Messiah. And they will turn their heart to him because of his patience. That's why he doesn't just snap his fingers and do away with all hardships. That's why he doesn't come back at our timetable. Time he comes back at his timetable. Do you understand that his patience is welcoming millions more into his family? Though you and I would love for this thing to be over. Why does he do these things? Because God has a purpose and he understands the timing of things. 
God is very purposeful. He's not like my children. Love my children. I have four children. For those of you that are new, welcome tonight. You'll get to hear a lot of stories about my children. To the older children, we homeschool our children. To the older children, we were teaching them about telling time. And you forget how young a generation can be and how attached to these devices that they are. And I said to my son, do you know how to tell time? It was in his lesson. He reaches for the the closest device. Yeah, dad, it's real easy. It's right there, 602. No, no, do you know how to tell time like on a clock? And so we have one on the wall and I pointed to it. Look at that. Do you know how to tell time? He said, oh, I thought that was a picture. Or my youngest one, my three-year-old. Dad, can I have a a nishnush? In Hebrew, that's a snack. In particular, when she says, can I have a nishnush? What she means is not just a snack in general. She means those little bitty ice cream squares. Specifically, that's what she wants. Can I have one, Dad? And I say, you've already had one today. You can have one tomorrow. Okay. A few minutes later. Hey, Dad, is it tomorrow? Not yet. Not yet tomorrow. When you wake up, it'll be tomorrow. And so if you don't watch your words carefully, she takes a nap in the middle of the day. She wakes up and she says, you said when I woke up, I could have a niche noosh. Is it, is it tomorrow? I said, that's my fault. I didn't clarify enough. Not when you wake up from the little sleep. You got to wake up from the big sleep. Then we can have another one. That would be tomorrow. It's like when we're young in the faith, we don't know how to tell time. We don't know how the times and the seasons all connect. But what I'm trying to get us to do, I'm trying to elevate our maturity in the Lord, in our prophetic sense. Tonight, I want you to understand the timeline of God. I want you to understand his clock. The Feast of Trumpets tells us where we're at in human history. The final trumpet blast. God has a purpose. He never does anything without a purpose. And why does he wait? Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some of us understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's a simple answer. He's working on hearts right now. He's working on our character. He's preparing us to rule and reign with him through faith and obedience. He's exposing sin for what it is really doing to the earth. He's allowing more and more people to feel the negative impact of sin so that more of them may turn to him and he may offer them eternal life as well. You say, where did you come up with this theory that if he came back in pleasant, peaceful, prosperous times, that fewer people would believe in him. Fewer people would pay attention. Friends, not my words. Matthew chapter 24. These are Yeshua's words. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, up till the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Feast of Trumpets, 
the last trumpet, the return of the Messiah, the return of the bridegroom, the return of the king, all connected here. At the coming of the Son of Man, it will be like the days of Noah because it was peaceful and prosperous. They were partying and doing all the things that they do. They were not paying attention to what God wanted. It'll be that way again. But Yeshua and his patience will wait till sin can be exposed. More will turn to him because he has a purpose. There are many other things that Yeshua will be doing when he returns. He'll be separating the sheep from the goats. That's Matthew 25. The righteous from the unrighteous. He will distribute rewards according to Isaiah 62. He will redeem the earth, Revelation 20. He will put the enemy in prison. I'm not even speaking yet of the age to come, the new heaven and new earth. No, I'm still talking about this earth. All the things I just listed, that's right now. That's this earth before it passes away. The Messiah will return, and when he returns, he will be ushering in a a, a time in history unprecedented. This is going to be an amazing time, friends. Listen, you can read about this Revelation chapter 20. The Messiah will actually live on earth with us. That's not all. He will resurrect anybody who has been a martyr for the name of the Lord. If you were killed for the name of the Lord, you get to be part of the first resurrection. You come back with him. You help him rule and reign on this earth. So Yeshua's here, and he's got all of these resurrected servants ruling the earth. Then he takes Satan and he puts him away in prison so he can't influence us anymore. What a glorious time to live. The king is home. Resurrected saints are here ruling, telling us how we need to be. What should we do? Helping us, ruling justly, and Satan is put away with no influence. What a great time. You want to be part of that time. You say, why why does he need to go through all those hoops? Why can't we not just get on with the show? I got saved. I went through water of immersion. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm a disciple of the Lord. Come on, let's just move along with this. Where's that new Jerusalem? I'd like to get to it. There are steps along the way because he's a purposeful God. You might say, what is the whole purpose of that thousand years then when Yeshua's here, resurrected saints help him rule and Satan is put away for a thousand years? What's the purpose of all that? It's a big question, but I have a pretty simple answer for you. Notice, I'll keep doing that. I'll keep coming back to simple answers because I think the Lord wants things to be fairly simple. The reason, in my opinion, notice the pulpit there. I'm over here. I said my opinion. The reason, in my opinion, that the Lord wants to come back into this unique timeline of this thousand years is because our God wins. Our God is victorious. Our God never loses. Do you think God is gonna let Satan ruin this earth and then just end the game that way? 
That's not the God I serve. Our God never loses. And that whole thousand years, Yeshua back on earth and redeeming this earth, that time period is about redeeming the earth to the way it was supposed to be. Without Satan's influence, with his people obeying and prospering and being fruitful under the leadership of the Lord. It's about God revealing who he is and who he's always wanted us to be. Our God is a winner. He's victorious. He never loses. And I think, even though it may be only my opinion, I think there's an important point in this thousand years where he is proving that to everyone. This is what my creation was supposed to look like. And we end on a high note. We end on a victory note. We end in celebration before we head to the new heaven, the new earth. My God's a winner. I want to be like him. Anybody in the house tonight want to be a winner? We, we had this saying when I was playing sports, winning feels so much better than losing. I know it sounds simple, but literally we, we would say that after games. We would win a game and we would say, winning is so much better than losing. My God's a winner. I want to be a winner. I want you guys to be a winner. As a matter of fact, the Lord even says of all of us, we're not just winners. We're not just conquerors. What are we? More than conquerors. You want to be in the kingdom of God? You better learn to be a winner. You better learn to be someone who never gives up on the truth. Let God conquer through you. That's the kind of God we serve. I've mentioned many things tonight about God doing more than you think he's doing. And if we accept that God loves us and that he came in the form of Yeshua to die for us, we might even ask ourselves one more question tonight. When did he think about doing that? How long has he been doing these things? Revelation 13, verse 5, gives us a little clue. It says, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names that have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain, catch it, from the creation of the world. How long has he been doing this? Since the creation of the world. When did he start thinking about salvation? The creation of the world. How long has he loved you? Since the creation of the world. He's not just doing more than you think. He's been doing it longer than you think. Salvation was activated the moment Adam and Eve made their decision to sin. God knew he had to step in himself and the plan was put into effect. He was slain from the foundation of the earth. That's how long he's been doing this. Matthew 25, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom that has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. What? 
wait a second. Wait a second. I don't know if I ever caught that before. Not only did he prepare salvation since the foundations of the earth, now you're telling me that this whole inheritance, the kingdom of God itself that's being given to us as his followers has been prepared since the creation of the world? That's what the scripture says. You know what that means? That means this whole plan has always been about giving it away. I hope you're catching this. The whole plan of God for salvation, for victory, for creation has been to give it away. And it wasn't something that came into his head like some great idea later down the road. You know, he wasn't like walking with the disciples and being like, guys, you know what? I just thought of something. It might be really cool if we planned an inheritance. No. From the creation and foundation of the earth, he was already building your inheritance. That's how much he loves us. He's doing more than that. John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, what I have told you, and that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. He's preparing an inheritance, preparing the kingdom, preparing the keys to the kingdom, preparing eternal life, preparing a mansion for you. It's gonna be a glorious mansion. It'll be everything you wanted. It'll be a lot of things you didn't even know you wanted, but you did want because he knows that. And remember, he's been preparing it a long time. It's gonna have all kind of details because he's put time into it. He's doing so much more than we think, and he's been doing it for much longer than we might think. God is a very organized God. He loves certain details. He gave us details about the tabernacle, about the temple, about the tribal orders, who should march, who should put their tents in a certain place, how the tabernacle would be built, what color it was, what gold to use, how big it should be. The high priest who had to wear a funny hat and funny clothes and a breastplate and what kind of rocks had to be on that breastplate and what kind of rock had to be on his right shoulder, what kind of rock had to be on his left shoulder, what kind of bells had to be on his waist. You think God doesn't care about details? He cares about when it was time to come, when it was time to die, when it was time to rise again, when the Holy Spirit would be given. He cares about when the last trumpet will be blasted. He's a God of details. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Our final scripture tonight, worship team can come out. 1 Corinthians 14. Our God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. We could go on and on. I just had to condense all, I mean, guys, we could do a seminar about all the things God is doing more than we think. And that's what we're gonna talk about this whole month. Next week, we're gonna focus on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. You're gonna love it. I'm gonna tell you how much more God is doing than you think he is about blood atonement. Matthew 16 He's getting the keys to the kingdom to give to us. The way of salvation has been planned. The timing is critical for his return. The symbols of the holidays all pointed toward Yeshua. 
our inheritance, our destiny, eternal life, the kingdom, the mansions, the keys, it's all been planned. And he's been doing it a long time. Our key phrase tonight as we close. In preparation for his return, Yeshua is doing more than you think. He's not just sitting there being lazy. Very active God. I told you I love that part about him. Very active God. I want to take that moment. It's a tender moment in the Lord. If you can stay with us a few more minutes. I'm going to ask our ushers to prepare themselves to pass out the Lord's Supper, the Seudat Abdon. The elements will be coming around. We didn't have a parasha reading. We normally read from the annual reading cycle. But on the first of the month, we don't do that. We take the Lord's Supper together. So we're going to enter in, uh, back into a, a moment of worship. The ushers are now preparing themselves. They're bringing the elements around. Just be patient. Hold it, would you please? Hold it and let's do this together. Those online, if you'll prepare yourself as well, prepare your elements. We'll give you a moment. A few weeks ago, there was an idea pressing on my heart deeply, and I shared it with you, and that was really how far out of his way God goes to touch people. And the Bible is certainly full of all these stories from picking the disciples that he picked and the tax collectors and the zealots, the, the fishermen, to people in the synagogue that were overlooked, to the demon-possessed, to the prostitutes, to the adulterers. He went out of his way to grab them, to share with them, to love them. And I just want us to never forget, guys. Never forget when you were the one. Never forget that there was a time in our past that we were the one he was running after. You know, I say, oh, but I wasn't an adulterer. I wasn't a prostitute. I wasn't a tax collector. I wasn't a murderer. But you had sin decaying your heart already. And he was running after us. We were the one. Remember the parable, he leaves the 99 to find the one. You were the one. I was the one. So as we begin This holiday season, we turn our attention to repentance. The 10 days of awe will follow between Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur. Days we some fast and we repent and we sit before the Lord. So I wanna give you a few moments while we have a worship song. Hold the elements. Just take a moment to repent before the Lord. Be clean before Him. And then we'll take it together.